Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us on Beyond the Square, the podcast from the Centre for PE Sport and Activity at Kingston University. My name is Greg Dreyer, and I'm joined by my colleagues Declan Hamlin and Alex Becky, and we are your critical friends in PISA. We are continuing to record this during lockdown, so apologies if the sound quality is not of a higher standard. In this series, we are looking at factors that shape our practice in PISA. In previous episodes, we have discussed how our personal experiences, espoused intentions, policy and policy makers, and key stakeholders have on professional judgments and decision making within PISA. In this episode, we're going to be discussing mega sports events and elite sport and asking what influence they have on our practice. We usually frame the conversation around a key question or critical question from each of us. And to kick off this episode, my critical question is, what values do we in physical education wittingly or unwittingly convey by using mega events and elite sports in our work in PE? Declan, what's your key question? Thanks, Greg. My key question is, what's the purpose for your engagement with sports stars and mega events? And my question is, what impact or outcomes are you trying to achieve by promoting a specific mega sporting event or star athlete? There is a long held belief amongst governments, event organisers, sport organisations and the PE profession that mega sports events can lead to increases in sports participation amongst those who watch them. Mega sports events are sporting competitions that have a fixed duration that attract a large number of visitors to the host country have a global media reach, come with large costs and have an impact on the environment and the population, often due to the building of new infrastructure. There's an assumption there that mega sport events inherently and automatically inspire people and stimulate an increase in demand to participate in sport. Thanks, Alex. All too often, I think we're blinkered by the glamour of elite sport or too focused on winning and sometimes both. The recent documentary on Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, has led to debate whether he was a great person and leader or a bully and a tyrant. What would it have been like to have been his secondary PE teacher? What would you have taught him? Would you accept his behaviour because he was an outstanding player and helped you win trophies? I always find it fascinating that at school levels, staff love to refer to their team or we won. Are they really our teams? And what is the purpose of us organising them? This will vary widely from school to school, with some having elite academies of sport, selecting pupils to perform for their school, while others simply rejoice that they managed to get a team out for a friendly fixture. My gut feeling is that we do not stop and reflect upon this, much in the same way that we grab any opportunity to mix with elite sport or performers. I previously worked in an inner London school and was lucky enough to be regularly offered opportunities. I recall one encounter where a TV channel had to rearrange a media session with pupils, given us 30 minutes notice of the postponement and to rearrange it for the following week. The Arsenal star in question had picked up an injury uh, that morning and was on the physio table and was unable to attend. So therefore we ended up with him being replaced the following week with the eventual Spurs captain. I recall watching the encounter with a small number of pupils. They were really not that interested to be honest and they even came into the school that day when it was close to pupils. I even struggled to find a Spurs supporter at that Islington school who really connected with that star player. It was then that I realised that the time and effort put into arranging these events was perhaps more worthwhile spent on other endeavours that would be more meaningful for the pupils. I personally believe that within PISA, we have a purpose to provide meaningful opportunities for pupils that can be sustained locally. For example, in my next role, I listened to the pupils who were mainly female and they wanted to play football but simply did not have the chance to do so. I ended up providing the space to play and soon realised that they wanted to play other groups and teams. 
So in conjunction with the local sport development officer, we arranged come and play sessions each month for all females within the borough. Other schools didn't necessarily have teams at this time. It was then clear that the social aspect was really important, along with the rituals of traveling to play a fixture in its loosest sense. We arranged many friendlies and this led to a local school league. The females though still having limited exposure that they could go on and sustain their playing for teams in the community. We arranged many friendlies which led then to a local school league. The females still had limited exposure that they could go on and sustain their playing for teams in the community. So trips to watch Arsenal ladies play were popular. Yes, it was an exciting expedition for some, but for others, it was a chance to see other females play. I should point out at the time, there was very limited media coverage of the female game at that stage. So did this demonstration of elite sport have an impact? I'm not completely convinced, but there's no doubt it did no harm. What perhaps was more meaningful is that the females could relate to players and through various openings got to meet many of them and realised that they were like them as people. The appetite to have opportunities to play increased and we were able to engage the services of an Arsenal and England player to coach weekly at the school. You would imagine that there would be huge numbers that would want to play. Well, there was at first, but what became clear was that you need to provide chances to play, to have an end goal to reach before you can start to think about improving football attributes. We were lucky to have the services of a gap student from the local club who provided further spaces to play and a chance to play in B, C and D teams, i.e. for those that did not want to train hard and win. They managed to get more females playing at lunch and after school than our elite coach. So we come back to my question, what's the purpose for your engagement with sports stars and events? Is it to reward, to try to demonstrate, to even inspire? I've not heard many elite sports stars say that they were inspired by their school staff. I think they may say that they were given opportunities by school and generally it's community sport club coaches that help develop players and athletes. What's important is that you pause and reflect about the message you are sharing with your school community about elite sport. As most cannot relate to it, even less will be interested and a minuscule will ever be involved in it. What are we hoping for in schools by promoting sport events like the Football World Cup or the Olympic Games? Why in assemblies would we use professional elite athletes and their successes as inspiration and role models to the young people we teach. One potential reason is that we're hoping for a demonstration effect. This is the phenomena where people are inspired by elite sport, sports people and mega events to actively participate in sports themselves. It takes me back, did watching Daley Thompson's gold medal performance in the 1984 Olympics inspire me to participate in athletics for 15 years? and was being spellbound by Rory Underwood and David Campese's try-scoring antics in the 1991 Rugby World Cup, the catalyst of my lifelong engagement with rugby, both as a player and a coach. Perhaps, but those sports events and those athletes may have just found a flame that was already there. There is an acceptance that sport, all sport, is inherently good, and therefore any participation in or promotion of sport produces positive developmental outcomes. However, this is often fueled by anecdotal evidence and the personal testimonies of athletes, coaches and PE teachers, which are amplified by social media. This then leads to uncritical beliefs about sport and the unlimited expectations of what it can do for individuals, communities and societies. I think blanket whole school approaches promoting mega sporting events and elite sports stars may lead to a demonstration effect but also possibly an inversion effect. This is when the use of elite role models and elite successes in mega sports events are used to try and develop a demonstration effect, but may deter others who fear that the sport as represented by the elite athletes is totally beyond them. There's always a dual process at play with sports. 
both good and bad things can happen in sports. In this case, elite sports people can be an inspiration as a role model, but on the other hand, they may deter participation among non-participants because of the perceived competence gap and the remoteness from their own experiences. It raises the question, is elite sports the best vehicle to encourage mass participation in sport and physical activity? Mike Weeds and colleagues at Spear, investigating the legacy of the London 2012 Olympic Games, found the evidence that there were no inherent effects of sport participation from mega sporting events. Sports mega events don't tend to attract new people to the sport. However, they may encourage those who already participate to participate more and encourage those who have previously participated to participate again. Also, there was evidence that it may reduce dropout by reinvigorating enthusiasm and encourage participating in new events that they saw. Thanks, Alex. So paraphernalia around elite sports performance litters our subjects. Textbooks and resources often use images of world superstars and school produced resources will often draw upon images of the likes of Jordan or Bolt. Our communication, be it via displays or verbal, sends key messages and these in turn reflect and reinforce our values. We use the following scenario question at the start of our PGCE or teacher education course to allow students to examine their values. We thought it'd be pertinent to convey it here. So here's the scenario. You are head of PE at River High School. Many of the schools present and former students have played sport to a very high level and they're celebrated on the quote unquote wall of fame which lines the corridors in the PE department and consists of sports shirts that have been nicely framed with a brief note explaining the name of the shirt owner and the years in which they attended the school. It's the start of a new year and on arrival at work, you collect two parcels that have been delivered. The first is from Jamie. You know Jamie very well. He left the school two years ago and he would come to your office most mornings before school when he was in years 10 and 11 for a chat and to join in the quote unquote bands. A few months ago, Jamie made his first team debut for Southampton in the Premier League. In the package is his match day shirt with a note simply saying, from River High's finest, thanks Jamie. In the other package is a race t-shirt from a local 10K. It's from a young woman called Rintu. She left the school four years ago. You can hardly remember her. Her notes said, Dear Sir, I spent five years at River High. We did PE twice a week and each lesson we lined up in the corridor and I would always look at the shirts on the wall. I didn't like PE, but I always did the lesson, unlike some of the girls in my class. I never in my wildest dreams thought I'd complete a 10K, but I did last Sunday and thought you might want to put my race t-shirt on the wall. So the question is, do you put Rintu's t-shirt on the wall alongside Jamie's, just Jamie's, or neither. What we think might be common ground and therefore build a sense of belonging may in fact do the exact opposite and quote other young people. Building a sense of disbelonging by using the world of sport and physical activity and this might be absolutely counterproductive to the universal goal of supporting more young people find a meaningful place for physical activity in their lives. Many would say that being aware of what and how we communicate is integral to our professionalism, but it may be very nuanced and subtle. How many times would you refer to an elite performer 
when talking to your students about a technique, whether it be the Cruyff turn or the Williams forehand. We might do this to demonstrate technical expertise and assume that elite performance, as has been covered, is inspirational to all pupils. Why might elite athletes not be the best person to go to, to inspire all our young people? Well, there might be a tension between elite sport and well-being, and in the current climate especially, we see more and more schools really say, at least pay lip service to the well-being of their students. Unfortunately, there's a long track record within elite sport of people finding themselves in a very bad place and with mental unwellness really quite prevalent. Many psychologists claim or try to analyze this and will point to the unhealthiness of following a single pursuit and a single aspiration, especially when those aspirations are very, very low odds. So to be flagging up people as aspirational may not be the best messages to give to our young people. Sports people are known for their single stories, and anyone with a single story is by its very nature a partial story. And their single story is normally always related to their outcomes. Their story is used to support a particular ideological narrative that centers on the individual rather than the connections between individuals and the spaces that bind us together. So focusing on the individual is used deliberately to support a very specific ideology that centers around meritocracy, the idea that anyone can get on if they work hard enough. And indeed, many post-Olympic event interviews, these messages are strongly reinforced when athletes are asked what messages they have for young people. They normally always refer to their dreams, never give up on their dreams, work really hard to achieve your dreams. This can be a really harmful narrative, especially when it's blended with a cocktail of heavy doses of grit and determination. This can replace sound reflective pedagogical practice. If a child is not making progress or succeeding, then there's a deficit within that individual and they clearly haven't got enough perseverance. It can also define success. And this might explain why on so many PE notice boards, communications via newsletters or on websites, some of the key messages, if not the exclusive messages, center around performances of school teams. These are the people, the young people in the school, who are engaging with physical activity most similarly to the role models that this podcast is referring to. They're moving in the same way, they're developing the technical competence, the cognitive tactical skill set and analysis of these role models and they're doing that for the same purpose in other words to compete many young people indeed many adults are not going to be engaging and have no interest in engaging with physical activity in that way so they need to find and be supported and be celebrated in finding their own way to engage and find meaning in physical activity which brings us back to what we claim to be the goal of physical activity. So what we've got to be on guard against is the mismatch between claiming educative, equitable outcomes for physical education, yet referring to and celebrating the success of just a few. So just to clarify and to finish off this section, work that focuses on equity 
is sometimes falsely accused of encouraging a dumbing down and avoiding any celebration of quote-unquote excellence. And I think if we're taking a critical perspective and asking difficult questions of ourselves within PE, this poses the question around how do we define excellence? Was Rintu exhibiting excellence on her personal journey having completed a 10K? Is that excellence comparable to Jamie's excellence? Are they finding physical activity and meaningful physical activity each in their own lives? And therefore, is that comparable and worthwhile success related to the P department? And if it is, then how do we find space in newsletters, websites, and display boards to celebrate Rintu's story just as much, not to replace Jamie's story, but to bring parity and strong messages to all the students that we work with. So what does that mean for you, the PE teacher? Be clear about the messages you want to share, the events you want to promote, and the role models that you want to highlight. Make them targeted to specific individuals or groups that you want to support to find meaningful physical education and physical activity. And build on what you already have in place and look to sustain it beyond a single event itself as one-off events that applied uncritically might have the opposite intended impact for you. So a reminder that you can find any links to the literature mentioned in this episode or previous episodes, as well as our blogs, resources and recordings of our Let's Chat P webinars on our website, Centre for Physical Education, Sport and Activity.wordpress.com. And if you would like to continue today's conversation, you can contact us via Twitter at cpisa underscore Kingston and on email cpisa at kingston.ac.uk. It's goodbye from myself, Greg and Declan. And remember to keep going beyond the square. Mm -hmm.